Hello everyone and welcome to the Talk Music Podcast, where we chat everything and anything related to the world of music and occasionally focus on topics a little bit unrelated. My name is Scott Cowie, I am a drummer turned comedy singer-songwriter and apparently now a podcaster. You're going to hear me chat to many different people, but more often than not, it will be fellow musicians having conversations about their careers and lives within, arguably, the greatest art form in the world. And you get this for free each and every week on scottcowie.com, on Stitcher Radio, and now on iTunes. So please rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, let them know what's going on over here. But for now, enjoy the show. Guest this week on the podcast, Ted McKenna, legendary drummer from Scotland and the guy that taught me since I was 12 years old. Um, This interview is so, so, so good and I'm delighted with this entire podcast. Uh, Nora Germain, my friend who plays violin in the States, who's got a pledge campaign on the go just now, she's coming up as well. Do me a favour. Don't skip any of this, right? Please, please, please listen to the whole thing from start to finish. This thing is awesome. And that ain't no hype or hyperbole. It's brilliant. Ted's just full of great, great stories. Now, the first interview that we did with Ted was about four or five months ago. That one was good because we did a timeline of his career. and We went through Alex Harvey Band, Schenker, and so on and so forth, all in kind of chronological order. But this one is stories from the road, right? And... Big thanks to you guys, because this made this such a good podcast. I posted up on Facebook, right? And I said, I'm interviewing Ted, Andy, get any stories or things that you want us to talk about, topics that you want us to cover. And so many of you posted back, and that helped the structure of this podcast so much. So you're going to get your relevant shout-outs. I, I think I read all of them. Uh, thank you so much for doing that. And it honestly, it makes for such a good interview. I'm delighted with this. And I'm literally just getting text right now from Ron North, our producer. Big thanks to Ron. The guy's amazing, does this every week. And he's messaging me on Facebook, message after message, because he's editing the interview as we speak. He's producing it. It's all happening here. And he's going on about how good it is, right? So it's just listen to it all. It's brilliant. Nora's going to chat to us too. She's going to play some violin at the end of the podcast. This episode is great. It's not a good one. It's a great one. Catch it all right now. Before we get to the interview with the legend that is Ted McKenna, a quick plug uh, for my good, good friend, my favourite violin player in the world. I've got her right here on the podcast. Nora Francesca Debra Gillian Falula Lucy Germain. Nora, how on God's green earth are you doing this morning? Well, first I'm feeling so great because I'm talking to you, Scott. Smooth. And also I'm feeling great because my pledge campaign is almost finished. Okay, and it ends on the 15th. And tell everybody about the pledge campaign if they don't already know. I'm coming out with my fourth album and my first book. And until September 15th, you can pledge your support, small or big, to help me uh, release this stuff. And I'm really excited. We've just crossed over 400 pledgers and also on my website, noragermain.com, you can see a list of world-renowned musicians who have all pledged their support. Scott, of course, your name is right on that list. Boom! Um, And uh, yeah, it's really exciting and I hope that you guys pledge um, because if we don't reach 100%, it all goes to shit. (laughs) So so get on there and do that and I want to thank you guys for listening to Scott's podcast because I've been a part of it for about a year now and I just think it's great. Right, brilliant. So Nora's going to stick around, right? We're going to cut to the interview with Ted McKenna and Nora is going to play violin at the very end of the podcast and she's brilliant, right? She's really, really good. She's so damn good that I've had her playing on my records, my records that are going to change the world. My records are everything that the Beatles and Queen were trying to be. So anyway, we're going to cut to Ted and we're going to be right back with Nora. It's all good in the hood. Okay, I am back on the Talk Music Podcast to welcome back for his part two. Part two. Part as the deux. French would say. Ted McKenna, how are you, sir? I'm fairly well at the moment, yes, despite of uh, some gardening expert, uh, gardening wear and tear. 
gardening wear and tear. Yeah. Well, apart from that, glad that we got this together because mm. I've been in, I've had a busy summer. You've had a really busy mm. summer. Mm. Playing here, there, and everywhere. Mm -hmm. For anybody that hasn't been following you on Facebook, which of course they can, you're on Facebook and Twitter. Get it sorted if you're not mm. with Ted as a friend or following mm -hmm. him. Mm. Uh, tell us about the summer. What you've been doing? Well, uh, well, basically we haven't stopped since. Um, that's Band of Friends. We haven't stopped since January. We did the Celtic Connections uh, with a good friend of ours, Dan Arbraz, who came over and did some songs with us. And uh, we did. Uh, we started off at the ABC in Glasgow with, and we we're very fortunate to get um, Andy Fairweather Low uh, with his band, who were fantastic. They were on with us. And we also did the BBC uh, uh, television, where I completely forgot the words to a song that we're going to be doing. Which we're going to be recording later in the year, called "Sense of Freedom." Right. Um, we did that song with Dan, and uh, it's originally it's a song that Jerry and I recorded with Rory Gallagher and Frankie Miller. Frankie Miller asked us. Uh, I can't remember how it came about, but Frankie had written a song for Peter McDougall's play "A Sense of Freedom," which was the story of Jimmy Boyle, the Glasgow gangster, and. Um, this all takes me back to when I first met Peter McDougall, who became a good friend of mine. Um, but we, we we did the we did basically the, we did the theme song, which is called "The Sense of Freedom," and then we did uh, we did all the incidental uh, music for the film. So if you watch that film, you hear Rory and Jerry and I playing. Um, but that started a great uh, friendship uh, with um, with uh, Peter Peter McDougall, and. Um, we we decided when we did Celtic Connections that we were going to do that song again. Um, I mean, I think it was my idea. Why don't we do it and maybe do it as even as a single, you know? Um, and uh, we are, we're planning to record it late in the year because we're planning to um, to to do another album. But you did ask me what I've been doing since the start. Anyway, Celtic Connections was what got the ball rolling, and that particular idea came along at that time, which is something that's going to roll on if you like. Um, we did we just did Crop Ready um, for Fairport Convention that's a great fantastic festival and we did Sense of Freedom there we played it there but this time we got the words right because when we did it on the BBC and when we did it at the gig of the ABC I was meant to send, set, sing the middle part and I could my, my mind just went blank on the lyrics so I went dee 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 I ended up dee dee it anyway you'll get the idea but it's a great song um, so that was a we got the ball rolling and, and basically we were, were touring mainly all over Europe then um, Germany, France, Spain, Italy, Holland, Austria, Switzerland. We just did the lot over months. You know, we kept going by. We did about three weeks in Germany at one point. So that all of that part was great. But latterly we've been doing uh, festivals. We've done about uh, oh I don't know about a dozen festivals. I can't even remember anymore. For it, every weekend, I was on EasyJet flying out to Schiphol uh, Airport and then off to um, where we usually meet up because all our equipment's in Eindhoven. So we went there and um, and then to whatever country it happens to be on the list. Um, so that was that's been that's been great as well. We played with uh, ZZ Top. We did uh, Boss Pop, which is a fantastic festival. It's one of these kind of festivals that just kept growing and now it's huge right. uh, it was easy top and melissa etheridge anastasia fish was on the bill as well right okay the old mucker fish so i got to see him um and we also did and um we also did uh crop ready with him he was there as well um so anyway it's it's, it's been great it's been a, it's like we've spent four and a half years um basically since the back of 2000 we didn't start properly to 2012 i think um, and we've been doing grassroots all over the place, from Greece to Spain, Italy, blah 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 blah. And it's 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 beginning to 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 really work now, you know, because we've been out there doing it. You know, it's basically the old school grassroots. Go and play to an audience; they like you, they'll come back. Simple as that. So you mentioned there uh, for getting the lyrics on stage yeah. at one point. Do you have any stories of? You're yeah. making mistakes on stage <laughs> throughout the years. The band uh, making horrendous mistakes. There must be. There must be something. Uh, well, that's the kind of thing that that's been known to happen. Um, and well, if I was if I was teaching a, a class, uh, I would probably start off by saying, "Well, this is what you do. This is how you get out of something like that." Um, 
I'm trying to think of specific instances with Alex, but um, there were times where um, the worst thing that can happen is that the, the, the singer forgets the lyrics, but the band carries on. Now, in a, in, a, in a proper professional outfit, which is really what you want to be, what you do is you wait out and you pedal on the, the intro until the singer can remember the lyrics. Right. And, um, I mean, that that can happen. I think the nearest I can tell you, and uh, Chris Glenn would probably be able to tell you the story better, but he, I remember once where Alex was, uh, he came up to the front of the stage to sing and fell asleep. <laughs> So right, I think right, it was right. I think it was either Sal or Chris that had to kick him in the backside because he would, well you know we were pretty wild on the road I've got to tell you no <laughs> and uh, where was this where was this um, I, I can't even remember I've no idea what it was. <laughs> it was that's the correct answer yeah yeah I've no idea why how would I how would I know if if people were in that state how would I know where we were but it was it was in the middle of a tour somewhere and um, and they, they 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 used to do all these well it was quite often the case that Zal and Alex and Chris would come at the front of the stage and do a number or a deal, we'd call it, you know, in particular parts of songs. And um, it just seemed to remember, I just seemed to remember um, Chris telling me that he came up and Alex was, Alex had kind of, he was near, he had his one leg on something, he was like this, and he had his head on the mic <laughs> and he kind of started momentarily dozed off. So they had to, um, they had to, I think they had to give him a kick in the backside to wake him up. Um, forgetting lyrics. I mean, as I said before, if you're a, if you're a musician and you're listening to this and you're in a band, you have to. I mean, you can rehearse a song to your blue in the face, and everybody gets gets it right and knows how it goes. That's fine. But if you carry this is where your ears come in handy. If you if you carry on playing the song and start going through the changes when you haven't noticed that the singer hasn't come in you know, you're in trouble because then everybody's going, okay, where are we going to be in the song? Whereas if you just pedal for a bit and a bit, just let the guy find his, you know, or go and shout his lyrics in his ear. Or, or get, or for when he wakes up. <laughs> yeah. Or when, when he wakes up. And then, and then you start the song from there. It's mm -hmm. not, it's not rocket science. That's kind of old school, but the amount of times I've been in bands where somebody's forgotten or come in a couple of bars too late and the guys have made the change up to the next chord and, and you go, oh, right, oh, yeah, you know, okay. how are we going to unpick this? Then how are you going, un how are we going to unpick this knitting? <laughs> and um, it can cause a lot of problems. Alex Harvey walks into the rehearsal room mm -hmm. and he says, I've got this idea for a song, mm -hmm. Vambo Rules and the Hot City Symphony and all mm -hmm. that. What's your reaction or did it come about that way? Um, well, a lot of the songs were some the ideas were put together maybe um with Alex and Hugh. They may have gotten an idea for a song and they would come in with it and then um we'd kind of okay, what are the chords and what kind of feel we got? you know, we'd usually were quite spontaneous when it came to things like that. And sometimes they could come in with a very basic idea. And then once the rhythm section started playing it, then it gave it a, a, a kind of form. Um, other times, Alex would, um, I mean, the thing about the, if you like, the conceptualization, the, the way that we worked as a band was very much 24 hours a day. So the, the ideas, the, the musical ideas, very often came out of traveling in the van or, or in the dressing room or in a, club after the gig or something that would happen and then it would spark a series of ideas and, and you know, and then a, a name would come up and a character would come up or something would come up and we'd say, oh man, why don't we do that? That sounds like a great idea, you know. Um, Alex was very good at, at coming in with with specific, he had, he had well, some people have said, you know, kind of visionary ideas about putting things together. The, the Vambo thing kind of developed because we did the first version of it on the second album on Framed. Yeah. We did a we did a a, a a kind of version of that, but then the whole idea, which was Alex, obviously the the Vambo character, which he took really um, from from the his early days in Glasgow and, and the gangs. I think that was because um, you know you used to get the fleet and the tongs and the toy and right. you know they would they well the tongs and the toy you know they, they especially the tongs when uh, people used to they used to paint slogans on the on the wall. 
So gang, gang, gang names, and obviously each gang usually had its leader off. Right. So I think I think some of the idea for that came, but but as Alex used to say, the whole idea of the concept for for this character Vambo was that he was a good guy, mm. and um, you know, <laughs> Vambo he do coco space Vambo he know that them human race. And it was all about a kind of a Superman, super character that kind of really knew the human condition and was trying to send a message. I mean, all the lyrics in that song are about, you know, don't piss in the water supply, you know, uh, things that are, are, are relevant always. If you want to have a society that works well, then you've got to think about these kind of things and don't do this and don't do that. So it was a kind of it was a kind of tale of uh, of, a, of a superhero. And that kind of gradually built, you know, and then we then we, we thought, I can't even remember how they came about these. As I said, a lot of these ideas, like Vibrania was meant to be the place where Vambo came from, you know, mm. and we were going to do a whole thing. It was going to go off into the sunset right? when when the band basically split up because what you have to realise was at the end of the 70s, and in fact, at the start of the 70s is when punk, punk started to, 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 to happen, uh, the, uh, the, the disassociation of young kids with what was a, a growing and gradually more corporate music music industry that didn't relate, you know. So, uh, and as Frank Zappa once said in an interview that I've got, an interview at the BBC that, you know, unless you're selling 100,000 units, why are you even bothering being a musician? That's the way they look at it, you know. So um when 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 the corporate thing was really big in Fleetwood Mac and the, the people were selling so many million albums and it was becoming unattainable even the logic in this it's exactly, it ain't changed much mm -hmm. uh, in fact it's probably gotten a hell of a lot worse uh, but the fact was that punk was happening and then so the, the where we were going as a band the sensational Alex Harvey band Alex could see what it was we were aspiring musicians and as we went along, we were at times emulating like something like Snakebite or a few tunes that we did. We were kind of tipping our hats to the guys that we loved, like Little Feet mm. or Tower of Power even, you know, um, bands that we loved. And, and 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 most bands are like that to a certain extent. Alex always managed to, to guide us away from being too indulgent in styles that we could play because right. we were we had the cross-section of guys in the band as musicians who were capable of playing all sorts of music as you can see from the the, the catalog of music that we did yeah um but the danger was alex manager always steer it into a way that it made it particular to us as opposed to emulating too much other other styles and um but, but by the end of uh, when we got to rock drill i mean the band split before that album was released so what chance did that have again anymore i think it's a fantastic album uh, but where we were going was really, considering we'd had the NME behind us for years, they were flying the flag of punk by that point. Charles Sean Murray, all the guys were involved in that part part of the the industry, and we had loads of fans uh, in the industry. Guys who were writers, photographers, you know, they, they they loved Alex and they loved what we were about. But when the wind changed, and the general population and Alex could see it. I mean, before we did the last album, Alex actually took me and said, he said, why, why can't we do an album where you don't use any symbols? Do you know what I mean? He was being, he was trying to be radically different from where we were going. He was trying to get us to take a hat off and say, right, let's forget about all that in the past. Let's move in a different direction. And, you know, the things that we were doing, in contrast, he introduced us to a piece which was to do with the BBC. Um, it was a guy who'd spent years studying old manuscripts of music mm -hmm. to try and figure out what music would have sounded like hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Um, Persian music. And we took this whole idea of the Buids, and you can look up the Buids on Wikipedia and find out what they were, there was a tribe. But it, it was around the time, as Alex would often say, of the Battle of Jericho. It was all this thing about the the, the, the armies making such a racket that the walls fell down. Um, and, you know, whether you believe that to be true or not, I'm afraid there is a certain logic in, in, the, in, in disharmony, and that's what it was about. The whole idea was to have hundreds of men playing horns, and you had hundreds of men playing drums, and 
there was discord in the court in the in the horn the horns. Now, without going off on a hairy tangent about military weapons or any kind of use of sound, if you try to tune a guitar and you've got two notes, one out of tune with the other, it's going one 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 one. Eventually, when you get it in tune, they're in harmony. If you put them out of that and they're going one 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 one. Take that, and now with the technology we have, you can drop that an octave, drop two octaves, drop drop it until you can't hear it. Yeah. But make it really, really loud, and it starts to disturb things. What I'm saying is that the logic of what Alex was saying made sense to me because of what I'd heard and understood about the power of sound. And I found out about all that stuff way back when I was young, about you know everything vibrates and all this stuff. You know this is we're talking about you know seventies hippie time here when people are talking about you know, the cosmos and the, the sound of the cosmos and you know all this peace, love, dove and getting stoned part. You know, but I'm telling you, the, there's a lot of it's based on the actual reality. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. You know, that's not coming from me. You know, um, Pythagoras I think was the guy who established the original. Um, keys, ABC, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, the, the, we, we, the, if you strike a certain thing and it vibrates at so many cycles that they decided to call that C, you know, I mean, that's that's how far back it goes for a kickoff. Um, and what uses there are, I mean, I've seen programs about use of sound in order to create vibrations that can do stuff. I mean, sound can be pretty pokey. Anyway, cut all the story short. The logic of this was that these, these soldiers... Um, uh, and you you could hear what what happens. This guy wrote it all out as near as he could get from studying old manuscripts, and then they had the Persian army or the Iraqi army mm -hmm. play it on the plane in the desert, hundreds of not thousands of men, and it, it was actually recorded. There's a there's actual actually maybe somebody's got the copy of the album, a vinyl album done by the BBC about this now all alex did was being as part from being incredibly stimulated by the whole concept the idea of this that sound could be that powerful we took the the record and then we did our own version but so the boots is actually us copying the original thing which is like a war chant it's basically a war chant uh with this incredible drum rhythm and um um Anyway, that, you know, Alex would come in with ideas like that, or That's why amazing. don't we? Or why don't we do? Why don't we do? Edith um, PF. I mean, once we'd done a tango, I mean, what was stopping us doing anything we wanted? Yeah. Once you do a tango, I mean, you you guys call <laughs> your, you you guys call yourself a rock band, and you're doing a tango, and and it's like, uh, so what? We're doing a tango. Yeah. Any obs? And, you know, that turned out to be one of our most popular tunes because of the way we did it. Mm -hmm. And um, Alex, Alex Alex, came up with, with, with loads of things like that. And sometimes, as you, to go back to your, your question, he'd come in and he would just hear us playing something. And he would just say, oh, keep that going, keep that going, and, and let's try and turn it into something. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got a lyric that will fit on that. Because he would, he would be writing lyrics. He had this grubby book with bits of chewing gum and bits of, you know, curry and stuff, coffee stains all over it. This book that he carried around with him. In fact, he used to have it on stage, and he would look in it in this book when he was reading out from it and things. Was like that, that. The, was that the Vamble book? Was that yeah, that one? Yeah, the book. Right. Of, but he used to have that. I'm pretty sure that was the book he carried around all the time. Right. That's why it got into such a mess. But he used that, and he wrote lyrics down in it. And um, I mean, he so he he would he might have a lyric or an idea, and and it would just spark our imagination, and I would say. Well, Zal's got this riff he'd been playing, and or Hugh's got a chord progression, or, or I mean, sometimes Chris and I would just be playing a, a groove, and and everybody would join in, and Alex would come in and say, "I've got a lyric for that," you know. I mean, so the way that the songs were created was primarily between the bones of a song like Faith Healer was a riff that Hugh wrote along with Alex, with a dun 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 you know. And then when we when he brought that into the band situation, and Zal had this bam, bat, bam, bam, and the two married together perfectly. And um, you know, I remember the first time we played that at Reading, uh, we were bottom of the bill, and the sun was going down, and the hair stood up in the back of my neck when we started to play. I just thought something's happening here. This is yeah. this is this song's going to make an impression on people. Believe me. And sure, sure enough, it did. Then the next year we were top of the bill, which was. Uh, which is quite an exciting uh, appeal. That was a very there's there's nothing like the actual journey. Yeah. 
getting from the pubs, the clubs, you know, the social clubs and the bar mitzvahs and the and all the wee stupid places and the universities and the things as we built up gradually. Mm. But you know, it's the journey. It's 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 getting your head down and working at it until you come out the other end. You know, and still believing in it. That's what made it made it work. But, um, does that answer your question? <laughs> Absolutely, and more. Uh, fascinating stuff. It's people that love the Alex Harvey band, me being one of them. So many people have, have said so many great things about mm. the band over the years. What has been, if you can pick one, the the compliment that's meant the most to you, if somebody just expressed their feelings about the Harvey band, is there anything that springs to mind? Because so many big artists mm. have, have, have classed that band in such high regard. Is there mm. anything at all that you can think of? Well, there, there's a number of um, guys. I mean, like their big friend Fish, who you know spent years with Marillion. Um, I think he said he he told me once when I first met him in the early nineties that um, he saw us playing at Nebworth. I think it was Nebworth. And that was the first time he saw us, and, and it inspired him to want to be a singer. Right. Seeing us playing at Nebworth. We had a particularly good time at Nebworth because um, <clears throat> we were we were pretty much the bottom bottom of the bill. The top of the bill was it was the Allman brothers, the Doobie brothers, Van Morrison, John McLaughlin's uh, Mahavishnu Orchestra, Sensational Alex Harvey Band, and then Tim Buckley. So we saw some reviews and we got we got the best reviews of the whole thing because we were really doing something different. I mean, these bands, these these artists and musicians are incredible. But what we were doing stood out to a lot of people. The people who in, in press were looking for something that was on the edge or it was dangerous, it was diff, different, you know. And I think that's why it appealed, what we were doing. But anyway, I, I mean, that was, that was the case from a, from a few uh, artists, I mean, uh, uh, Nick Nick Cave, uh, prof you know, professed a long time ago to be a big big fan of the band and covering the Hammer song, one of our songs, um, and uh, which again is quite a profound song, I think. Um, he he did that. He saw the the integrity of the band, or Alex's integrity, yeah. and, and his lyric writing and what he's what he was trying to get. It was a case of grabbing all these songs, whether you write them or, or take them, but they had integrity. You know, that was I think that was I think that was the an important thing about it. But there's been so many, so many you know, I can meet people all the time who come up at gigs that we are doing now. Uh guys in other bands that are playing with all these different you know, guys and uh, in fact some of the guys that are working with Fish just now yeah. were very complimentary about the band and uh, and um the guys, uh, the American guys in the George uh, Thorogood's band, you know, were big fans as well, you know. So it's like, it's like, um, it's, it's, it, to, to be honest, it's harder after the years of, of uh, this legendary status that we have as a band and a cult status that, uh, um, you know, there's been loads of compliments. I mean, the fact that people thought, the fact that what we believed in meant something to people, I yeah. think, is, is enough enough of a, a compliment or a, enough of a, you know, we never made any money out of it, but, uh, you know, and that's a whole other story. I could give you a whole other program, another podcast on that, why, oh, we, no, didn't, why, that, why we didn't make any money. But, um, it's, but isn't it's, that, that's worth, sorry to cut you off there, Ted, but that's worth so much more, right? Uh, I mean, there's people that, I know for a fact they've got a, a lot of money in the bank, mm. but look on with envy mm. at, at being, I just want to be in a band like the Alex Harvey band, like every musician I know yeah. would just love to. Because you told me once, you said, um, when I played the drums, I wanted to be great at drums, but I just wanted to play in a great band, right? Mm -hmm. So, and that was, and you told me that, and you, you had that thought before you were in the Harvey band. Mm -hmm. So, Come years later, you being in an, an, an amazing band, and I'm mm. not just saying this because you're, you're sitting in, mm. in my flat, um, <laughs> but absolutely brilliant band. So that is worth mm. so much more, mm -hmm. you know. Because I've I will I will never be in a band that's anywhere near that a band like the Alex Harvey band. You never know, mm. right? But you've had that thing where all these people mm. still to this day talk about that band almost religiously, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. and we're going to talk about some of them, right? Because as you know, I posted yesterday saying that i've got you on so i said right what 
what do you want uh, Ted and I to talk about? So here's some of what some of the people have commented, right? Stephen Maxwell, good guitar player. Shout out to hey, Stephen. Stephen. Rock uh, and roll. Rock and roll. Now, I said, you know, is there any stories? Is there any anecdotes? Is there anything you want to go over? And Stephen's just said, the classic pants story from the Rory days. I don't know what he's talking about. Yes, you do. I I've don't. told you this before. Have you? I've told I've told the story so it's going to be in the book anyway. But um, and we're going to talk about the book in a bit. Yeah, well, it's 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 one of these things when we were on the typical um, band on the road scenario. Um, the most dangerous time is really at the end of the gig before the day off, and usually everybody just goes, "Oh, sure, right, we've got a day off tomorrow, so let's go and uh, I'll meet you in the bar after we put our bags in the room." And um, we had a bit of a night and we went out. I can't remember whether we were just stayed in the bar in the hotel or else we went out somewhere. Because we used to go out for a meal and then, you know, come back to the bar. But we were in the bar and our tour manager said, we were in, I think it was, I always thought it was Minneapolis, St. Paul. I can't remember. Jerry always thinks of somewhere else. But anyway, we were in the, the hotel and he said, to save messing about and give you a long lie we'll pick the cases up at eight o'clock and we'll go to the airport and get all the cases checked in in those days you could do that and um and we said yeah okay fine pete uh what are you drinking and blah blah, blah. slurp slurp so whatever was happening we just carried on came back to our rooms at all hours and i, I just got out of bed crashed into bed fell asleep um next thing i'm getting Ted, Ted, you got your bag. And I'm oh, for God's sake, I forgot all about that. So I just leapt up and grabbed the stuff, put it in my case, went to the door, opened the door, half opened the door and just said, there you go, and right, see you at the airport, right, cheerio. Shut the door and went back to bed. The next thing I got was a phone call. It was Rory on the phone. He said, uh, Ted, uh, the, 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 the car's here to take us to the, you know, the airport. And... Um, that was that was said like a very good Irish accent. But I was wondering the car. I was wondering there now, uh, but he 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 was taking us to the airport. Uh, the cars. He said, "Cars, you'll have to come down. The cars down here." And so so I just leapt up. Well, all right, okay. So I went and washed my face, got my toilet, my little bag, and get my toilet bag and stuff like that. Came back into the room, looked around, I'd packed all my clothes, I'd packed my pants, my trousers, my trousers, I'd packed my trousers. Panic. The cat, the, the 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 limo or whatever it was was downstairs, and I don't have a pair of trousers. Simple as that. And I opened the door in panic, and and Jerry was just getting into the the, the elevator to go down, and I said, Jerry, um, I've got a bit of a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he said, okay, so he said, right, Jerry. So we Jerry Jerry went downstairs and went round the corner to an Army Navy store or, or some big place next door whatever the, the first place he came to and he said Peter, the guy said you want kind of pants you want he said, well he's a big guy okay you want big pants here's big pants so he gave me the big gave him the big pants brought them back i swear to god they came up to underneath my elbows <laughs> underneath my armpits sorry underneath my armpits so they were just ridiculous these trousers and i had to wrap them around me and you know to but i got to the the airport in time and, and everyone was uh jim dandy but um yeah, that was that was a, a moment of sheer um, panic, and uh, you know that that kind of thing doesn't happen very often. It's like being uh, it's like the kind of thing that happens to quite a lot of guys is uh, if it's, if you've got a big crew and you stop uh, for for a meal on the autobahn or the motorway somewhere, and uh, everybody gets in the bus and they're about half cut and they drive off and leave somebody in the toilet. And it's a bit, they're about like two hours down the road. <laughs> this is before mobile phones. Yes. They're going, hey, have you seen Jerry? No, I don't know. Where is he? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, he's still at the garage. So, you know, about turning, you've got to go and pick him up. What else? Uh, worse than that. We're on a roll with the stories, right? Gary Bennett. The Saab tour of America when Ted was convinced that yeah. the tour manager was going to well, kill him. Well, that was drug-induced. I've got to tell you, there's no doubt about it. Um, and that, and a, perhaps some kind of as, aspect of my personality to think these things, but the logic in my thinking, basically I thought the tour manager was going to shoot me 
And the logic, <laughs> the logic was a build-up. I took a drink at the wrong time. <laughs> <laughs> the logic, the logic is, um, the logic is 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 not, you know, it's not unbelievable. I mean, it's the way I thought about it was, I mean, you got to, you bear in mind there was a lot of strong um, marijuana going about, um, <laughs> but we played the New Orleans. It was New Orleans, and um, when we when I arrived at the sound check, there was a little um, there was a little twelve uh, year old colored guy sitting on my kit playing a really funky beat, and everybody's going, "Yeah, this guy's amazing! Look at this wee guy on the drums, man!" You know, <laughs> a little guy, and he was just boom, boom, bat, boom, boom, bat, and he was he was you know rocking out. It was great, as they say nowadays, he's rocking out, man. Uh, so I, I never thought of that much about that. I just thought, well, that's great. And it's boy's boys great, brilliant. Um, anyway, <laughs> we were playing. We were playing uh, with Frank Zappa in the Spectrum in Philadelphia. Right. And when we came off, um, in fact, if you look at that book, that who's the guy who wrote a book on Monroe, Neil Monroe, or something. Like that? The guy who wrote the book, a book on Alex Harvey. Right on the front, on the front of it, there's two American cops, two two coloured cops, and Alex standing on the front page of the book. That I saw that I saw that I saw Alex talking to those cops when I was leaving. Right, but the thing is, before we left the gig, uh, a friend of ours, Chuck Pullen, who's a famous, if you look him up, Chuck Pullen was a famous American photographer, rock photographer. And he brought in a couple of trumpets of grass. Now I'd been, you know, indulging a fair bit in Britain, but I'd no idea. I'd no idea, you know, because you get used to to, to ganja or you get used to, you know, black or lab or all the different kinds of dope that we smoked back in the day, which um, we don't condone now. No, we don't. Condone. I don't, don't want to get sued. I don't. Yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't condone it at all. No, I'd rather get people. I'd rather have people get completely drunk and die of liver cancer. Um, uh, that, ma that makes much more sense. Um, anyway, the, um, the, 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 he panded these joints around when we were in the dressing room. He said, try some of this. Because I had a couple of puffs and it just blew my head out. It was so strong. I thought I could handle it because I'd been using, um, because I'd been, you know, familiar with, with African stuff, but this wasn't African. Uh, anyway. I just went completely gonzo or whatever you want to call it, but we were leaving it. And Dick Odell was great. We had a tour manager called Dick Odell. He used to be with Deep Purple. And he managed the band that became um, Eurythmics before they were, they were called the, what were they called before that? Anyway, he managed them. But anyway, Dick, Dick was always one of these guys at the airport. He always say, hey, come on, come on, you guys, come on. You know, he was like, he was sheep herder. He had to get his lined up or else people would get lost at airports. So he's very good at that. So he says, come on, Ted, let's go out to the car. So I went out with him. But after a while, I realized there was nobody else with me. It was just me. Um, and immediately I thought something funny. And I think it was something, it was, if you look look up paranoia, I've already done it a few times in the dictionary. It's, it's It can mean delusions of grandeur, or basically. You, you, you think everything's all about you and when it's not. Um, I've got the definition here. A mental condition categorized by the delusions of persecution unwanted jealousy or exaggerated self-importance and so on and so forth. Sorry, Ted, continue. Yeah, I, I've got it in here because I've got my my notes for my book here. Um, and I actually pasted the definition. A mental condition characterized delusions of persecution. It may be an aspect of chronic personality disorder, which I don't think is in my case, of drug abuse, in this case, most definitely, Oh, but not abuse. I wouldn't say it was abuse. Um, or unless you would consider being abused by the drug. Um, <laughs> of or, or of a serious condition such as schizophrenia, in which a person loses touch with reality. You could say that. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I'm not schizophrenic, and um, I'm probably the most, I'm the sanest guy I know. <laughs> anyway, what happened at that point was... Um, this started to flow, this idea. And we got to the car park and there was nobody else there except him. And I thought, why has he got me out here? And suddenly it made sense because if you, as I'll bring up in the, in the book, the Sensational Alex Harvey Band was a frame of mind. It was a state of mind. Right. It was completely different from working with Rory Gallagher or any other band I was with. Mm -hmm. For me, it was, a, it was a state of mind. 
And there was a series of things that happened after that, which will be in the book, all relating to the same paranoid experience brought on by drugs. And I thought it made all the sense in the world to me because I remember we sat in the in in, in one of the big one of the big gigs and they played back our album and Birdfeather, who was a publicist, said uh, the album's at fifty four or something in the American charts or maybe lower than that. And so you know it's not moving too good. And you know it was a case of and I thought what a great idea shoot the drummer. <laughs> And get a lot of publicity <laughs> because because of the state, the mental state the band had, where we believed anything was possible if we believed it. We could go on and play a tango. We could go on and do anything if we believed in it. And that's the secret of what, a great part of what the Alex Harvey band was about: conviction. So I was I had convinced myself I'd con I'd convinced myself that they were going to shoot me. That I was going to be shot, and it made sense. I thought this makes sense. Of course, it makes sense. Fact, I'm just going to explain it because this is obviously an audio podcast. Yeah. But Ted is explaining this, and he's got specks at the end of his nose. All right. So it just makes you look uh, very intelligent guy, but all the more intelligent when you're sitting with the specs, specs on <laughs> and going, "This made sense. They were going to kill me." Uh, so I'd give everybody the visual there. Yeah. So that's brilliant. Yeah. That's well, I mean, there's, there's there's a lot more that came after that relating to the same thing because, um, you know, when we were at, uh, staying in New Orleans and we go back to the hotel, this carried on. And we went out to a nightclub and it carried on. And I envisioned, envisioned all sorts of things happening to me because of this one-track mind I had about there's a reason for this. Now, that gets back into my personality. Probably there's something in my personality that, that, that kind of either is incredibly one way or incredibly another. Um, I've never had any problems with things like that, except through the particular uh, paranoid experiences with uh, with dope. And another one I had was in Los Angeles, which was fascinating. But I'll tell you about that in the book. <clears throat> so that's going to be in the book. It's safe. There's your commercial, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the commercial. That's Look the out for the book. book. And everybody knows now that there's going to be a book coming out. And all yeah. these stories are going to be out. It's going to be a great book. Did I get a mention in it? You will get a mention. Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay, uh, thanks to Gary Bennett. Shout out to Gary there for that one. Mm -hmm. Okay, as we're on a roll with the stories, this is great. This is great. Right. You told this the last time on the podcast, but who cares? Give us that again because the amount of people that said it, Ross Ferguson, he was one of them, right? Mm -hmm. Hi, Ross. Hey, Ross. The mm -hmm. taxi door. The, the mm -hmm. taxi door. The taxi you know what door. I'm talking about. The taxi I don't door. need to say any more. Well, um, it was towards the end of my marriage, my first marriage. Um, with my first wife and she were still great friends and I speak to her often but at the particular time this happened uh, we were going through a bit of a bad patch in the sense where, that I was desperately trying to get to sleep because I had to get up for a taxi that was picking me up to go to the airport we were playing the Bilson Festival which is near Brussels and we were on the bill with uh, Thin Lizzy so we were heading out there, and I'd had this argument. Well, basically, it wasn't an argument. It was a bit of a one-way street. I just couldn't get to sleep, and um, my my dearest was uh, going on and on and on and on and on. So eventually... Can I, I mean, cut you? I'm going to cut you off there, Ted, okay. right? Just to tell you a quick thing, a wee side story. Yeah. When you told this story to us when we were at college, right, uh -huh. you, you, you were explaining that you had an argument with the wife, right? But the way that we worded that there was better because we all burst out laughing because when you told it to us, yeah, my ex-wife, we were shouting and bawling and uh, and she just had me up all night. And, uh, and everybody's just looking at each other going, where is this going? Right. So sorry. You had an argument with her. She's kept you awake. Please continue. Sorry. Um, yes. Um, anyway, I, the, the, the long and short of it was I didn't hear the car come. So I slept through taxi. I stayed in a cottage in Hazelmere in Surrey. Very nice. And... Um, just, I was out for the count. Didn't hear the phone ringing. Didn't hear the door knocking. The two of us were just out for the count. Eventually, I got the phone, and it was Derek Nickel, who worked for Mountain Management, uh, who were managing us, and he said, Ted, you missed the flight. The flight's gone. Nobody could get a hold of you. Right, I've stayed behind. Um, we're sending another car for you. Okay, we'll need to get the next flight. Unfortunately, we we couldn't get we could only get first class on this on the next flight. Oh, unfortunately, unfortunately. Okay, so 
I get my backpack, jump in the car. It was a brand, I always remember it was a yellow Granada gear, brand new. The the pride of the, the of the taxi fleet. So this taxi turned up and I'm sitting in the passenger seat as uh, you know, you we usually did. I just sat beside the driver on the way in there, not being you know, rock and rolling and sitting in the back with my shades on. Anyway, I just sit in the front and yapped away to the, the taxi driver. We got to uh, Heathrow Airport, pulled up. I said, thanks a lot. It was an account car anyway, so I uh, didn't have to pay anything. I do remember that. And I just kind of, okay, well, see you later then. Opened the door and a bus took the door right off or at least bent it the opposite way from the way it was meant to go. <laughs> of course, now... If I'd been a little bit quicker, it would have been me. You know, I just kind of opened the door instead of kind of getting out, as you quite often, you open the door and you get out. Yeah, yeah. And it's just luck. I mean, I swear, there have been a number of instances which I must remember, and that's why I'm filming this to remember. because there are, that we're filming. There are a number of instances where I've been very close. So, um, you know, the, the the railway in Germany, which I uh, may have told you the story about. But anyway, that's all going to be the book. Hold on. That'll the be railway the in Germany. I don't know that one. <laughs> Save that. that. Tell me Rory, when we're off air. That was air. a Rory one. That's a Rory right, one. Tell me off air. And that one's going to be in the book, the, yeah, the, yeah. the Ted McKenna book. Yeah. So that, so this um, this uh, bus took the door off. And, um, and I just remember thinking, well, what can I say, really? I just got my bag and said, well, Sorry, and, and and went off. Met Derek Nickel, got the flight, arrived in Brussels, and then we had to get a taxi because the the tour the bus that they sent for the, all the bands uh, had gone. So we had to get a separate taxi from from uh, from Brussels to Bilson, and um, and the long and the short of it is that I had to pay for the taxi and for the upgrade and the flight and for the cancel. So. Took a whack of money to cost me a lot of money that day. So that reminds me. I'll need to give her a call and say, Do you know how much that cost me? You came me up one night. <laughs> I forgot all about I've forgotten about that for about what, 40 years? <laughs> give her a call. Give her a call on the, and we'll record it for the next podcast. That would be entertaining <laughs> indeed. Now yeah. um, I've got to say yeah. big shout out to David Roddy and Andy Chisholm for mm -hmm. posting this. They're asking about the Led Zeppelin story in Coat Bridge, and this is my opportunity to plug this. Mm. We tell that story in detail, or you do anyway, in the previous podcast, right? Mm. So we're going to crack on and revert the guys back to that one because you go into a lot of detail about that, and it's great. Uh, Bottom and Ted doubled up. Bottom showed you how to spin a stick. Yeah. You showed me how to spin a stick. So John Bottom kind of taught me how to spin yeah, a stick and, in uh, my world. Trevor, right? Trevor Morell uh, from The Peddlers taught John Bottom how to do it. Wow. Yeah, school, Check right? out The Peddlers. The Peddlers. Right, we're, um, we're cracking on, Ted, right? Because there's a few people. Great reaction, right? David Cowan, David Cowan, keyboard player extraordinaire, in an Alex Harvey tribute band mm -hmm. who have got a gig on Halloween. They're playing at Ivory Blacks. They're called mm -hmm. the Sensational Alex Harvey Experience. Experience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the guys are great. Uh, go and check them out. Davey's got a couple of things. Um, how did you get involved with MSG? How did I get involved with MSG? I've been working with Gary Moore and Greg Lake. Um, we'd done... I joined midway through Greg Lake's first album. I think Jeff Percaro did the first part of it. Um, and uh, then we did a second album and then we did a live album. So I spent a bit of time with that band. We did a, a bit of touring, but it wasn't really getting getting any headway. So I knew it was going to fold up and I was down in a place called The Funny Farm where I used to meet people like Phil Linnett and uh, Brian Robertson and uh, I'll come to you and other guys from, from rock groups. We used to all drink and get our faces down there. It's in Camden Town, Chalk Farm. Um, and I was down there that night, and lo and behold, Michael Schenker and Chris Glenn, my old buddy, were at the bar. And Chris came over. I don't know whether he'd heard wind of the fact that the Gary Moore, Greg Lake experience was coming to an end. And he just came over and he said, uh, he said, uh, do you want to come over? Michael wants to talk to you. So I went over. To the bar and Michael said, "Hey Teddy, he always to go Teddy." And he said, um, "How'd you like to play with me?" And uh, I said, "Yeah, you know, went blah, 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 you know, which is a matter of oh, okay, what's happening? What are you doing?" Blah, blah. And that night we went round to uh, uh, what's it called? Um, brewery was it Brewery Road? Yeah, John Henry's. 
I went to John Henry's um, and we had a bit of a jam and that was it. We just played a few tunes. I've got a recommendation for you. Mm -hmm. If you ever fancy a change in career path mm -hmm. and want to become a WWE wrestler and mm -hmm. fancy a tag team partner, I would recommend James Allen, who's the lead singer from Las Vegas, because as Ross Ferguson reminds us all, <laughs> right? Oh, is this you segueing? You segueing? You oh, segueing? No, that's what's smooth. That's why I'm a semi-professional. Uh. Um, <laughs> right, so you and James Allen were involved in a very successful uh, wrestling tag team yeah. for 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember this? Well, yeah. In fact, I met James um, about six months ago right. uh, in Glasgow, and we we, we we sat down and we had a great blather, and uh, I'll look forward to seeing him again. Um, he'd been spending a lot of time in America. He was telling me all about it. But anyway, um, he was one of my students in one of my classes. And what seems to have happened one day was that he arrived at the college, and as he was coming in the main door, that's of the old college in Springburn, the old the, old North the one that we all remember. The one that we all remember, the big, strong, the better building, may, may I add. Yeah, have <laughs> um, some of that, Kelvin, yeah, whatever the yeah, 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 yeah. So um, the he was approached by a couple of young chaps who were kind of abusive, and one of them said, oh, give us a shot, you're good, and tried to grab his guitar because, you know, um, he had his guitar over his shoulder. And... Um, the guy pursued him, and eventually he had to smack him in the mouth to get him away. So after that, the next day, what happened was this guy came in, and he was drunk. And his, his the class he was in, I don't know what it was, an engineering class, or whatever the class was, was in a different department. And the his lecturer told him to go home. But... Some of the guys he was with were noising them up, going, "You got to get him!" And not, well, you know, blah 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 blah. So they were they were intent um, being Neds. Um, forgive forgive me if I'm insulting you for for being a Ned. Being a Neddy scumbag. But, but, but uh, that's what you get for punch, for chasing after somebody for no reason. Anyway, um, and what happened was, I don't uh, think these guys are going to be avid podcast listeners anyway. Well, I don't know. You never know. But um, <laughs> but the thing the thing is that uh, when I I had a class and in the old building we we had um there were two two classes together and uh adjoining doors, bloody bloody blah. And I, I just the class was literally coming in and I had to go and pick up a register. I had to go and pick up something. By the time I got back, um I was just coming in the door when it seems this guy had arrived, looked in the window and saw James and went in and approached him and James was forced to smack him again in the mouth because he was becoming aggressive. And this is all happening in the class with my students. I came up, I came in the door. He tagged you in. <laughs> and as I came in the door, the door to the other classes, there was an adjoining class. And one of the guys who was one of the techs who looked after the computer equipment was walking out the door holding uh, laptops and bits of gear. Right. In his arms. And this nut numpty, um, who was all already bleeding from the lip, turned around and smacked him in the mouth. Just I think just to punch somebody. Right. And because especially as the guy had his hands full. But he he punched the wrong guy because he just dropped the gear and he tore into him and started smacking him as well. So this is mayhem's all breaking out in a small space between the two rooms. And um I noticed there that all the other staff from from the other rooms had all disappeared for some reason. I don't know why, but they'd all disappeared. Um, that was discussed later on. Anyway, I had no option but to come up behind this guy and grab him. And a 21-year-old guy who's drunk is quite a handful, you know. And he wasn't exactly rubbery. He was quite a strong guy. And I had to grab him and put my arm around and pull him back to get him away from uh, the rest of the people he was fighting with. And I just basically held him there. And then I tried, I tried to sympathize with him. I talked to him. I talked him out of him and said, come on, you, you're going to have to straighten up. You can't, you can't do this or whatever. And, and then eventually some of the senior staff came out and led him away somewhere. And um, 
Of course, we were adamant that the guy should be chucked out, you know. And then we found out later that he had actually stabbed his mate when the two of them were uh, at one of the open days at the college where they had all these balloons floating about and, these, and he was trying to stab the balloons and he ended up stabbing his mate. This, is, this had happened it previously. It was also a balloon. Yeah, this was, that happened previously. Anyway, that was the that was the the James Allen story, and uh, so he, he he picked the wrong guy on James because James, apart from the fact of being a pretty fit young guy, was also he was you know he he was training as a, a footballer at the time. As oh, well. I had so a bit he, was, about him. he was rather fit at that time. So shout out to James. <laughs> come on, James, come on to Las Vegas, boys. <laughs> right, shout out to all these people. Thanks to Stephen Maxwell, Jamie Henry. Uh, who just writes in my comment just saying his stories are the best, such an amazing guy and great character. Um, David Roddy and Andy Chisholm, Gary Bennett. David Lang is asking about the taxi door coming off. Thanks, David. Um, Chris Rogers, The Sacred of Stealing. We went over that off air. Uh, you're going to give him his book back, I think. <laughs> uh, yes. Ross I'm going to be doing some work in at the college. I'm going to do a, a thing next uh, Wednesday. No, a week in Wednesday. Right, okay, we can okay mm. advertise that then. Obviously, it'll be coming out. Go and yeah. see Ted at Kelvin College. Don't like advertising yeah, well, other colleges. I think but... we're doing it in some, at the bottom of Byers Road. All right, good like stuff. A, whatever it is that they use for... Kelvin things. College, formerly North Glasgow uh, College. That was when it was better because you and I worked there. And then, the, uh, <laughs> then the... Uh, let's move on. So, uh, Ross Ferguson, thank you very much uh, for the couple of comments there. Jazz Brannan. Look to see you again, sir. He was saying that he was there present when you and James All right. uh, beat the guy up. Mm. Tristan Dale's just a really, really quick one here. I want to mention everybody because everybody's been so kind to writing these in. Ted was the man. He's, he's got a very fond memory of, of Ted coming into the college rehearsal room and asking for a shot of, of his drums. Um, and he was thinking he's not gonna that Ted's not gonna like his double bass drum pedal because the quote unquote older generation didn't deal with those kind of things and then he, He's, in, in, in Tristan's word, words, he sat down and went to town and schooled my ass with a double bass drum pedal. So a lot of people liking that comment too. Right, yeah. David Cowan, just yeah, Alex Harvey band fanatic. He's got a few bit comments here. Go and see David's band, the sensational Alex Harvey band, Experience Ivory Blacks and Halloween. Um, and Ted McKenna, you are a legend. For anybody that doesn't know, um, I remember when I wanted to play the drums when I was 12 years old. 12 years old, yeah. That was now 20 years ago, Ted. I've known you 20 years ago. My dad gave me a number. I phoned you up. And uh, thanks very much for everything you taught me. And you've been a massive influence in me. It's all your fault. <laughs> uh, you're completely to blame. Oh, yeah. um, any final words? Any final words? Well, I must say it's been most enjoyable. Um, there are loads more things to talk about. I'm going to try and cover them in this um this class I'm going to do with uh, Peter Danborough at, uh, at uh, Kelvin College. At Kelvin me. College. Yeah, at Kelvin College asked me to to come in and do a class for his his um, music um, and sound group. You know, so I'm good business business music and so so I'll be covering as many aspects of my experience in all of these areas. Um, you know, you'll get it from the the horse's mouth, as it were about sound, about playing live, about recording, about contracts, about, you know, my experience, how I'd got there in the first place, what made me want to do it, et cetera, et cetera. All the things that um, I'll tell you. And, of course, I'm open to as many questions as I can possibly get. So hopefully I'll see folks there. And uh, thanks again, Scott, for inviting me on here. And uh, I'll be happy to give you chapter podcast oh, three. Where the, 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 story, the story goes on. Part two. <laughs> Of 22. <laughs> Ted McKenna, yeah. absolute pleasure. Thanks to everybody uh, for commenting and writing in your questions. Keep them all coming in regarding anything. We'll get Ted on again soon. Music at gmail.com if you want to email in questions. Hit me up on Facebook, Twitter. You'll find me everywhere. The central place that holds it all together is scottkerry.com. But for now, Ted Rock. McKenna and the House Fambo Rules. Rock and roll. There you have it, a fantastic interview there with Ted McKenna. What a legend! What a legend. I'm back now with Nora Germain, and I don't know if I said this earlier, but uh, the link to Nora's Pledge campaign is on the link to this podcast. If you're listening on SoundCloud, you can go to norajermain.com, you can go to scottcowie.com, whatever you want. But in the description to wherever we put this podcast, and all relevant sites that it's on, be it iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Audio Boom, SoundCloud, so on and so forth. The link is present. 
Nora, you're back with me. How are you? I'm great. Nora, and I've got to say, right, and I'm pulling up a seat here as I, as I, as I, as I, as I sit for this portion of the podcast, right? Now I've been yeah. looking. I've been looking at your pledge campaign, right? Yeah. And I sent you a little message on Facebook about thirty minutes ago. You did. Yeah. Do you want me to read it right now? Right. Okay. I want you. To get, right, no, don't. Because I'm assuming. Right. In fact, I'll just tell everybody. Right. It was an image, a screenshot, if you will, that I've taken from your pledge site. Uh-huh. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. What was that screenshot and what was my text that went along with it? Tell everybody. Um, didn't you send me a picture of one of the exclusives? Which was? Oh, I can't remember because we have about 20 on there. Which one was it? Tell me. There's one. I mean, for so everybody knows, there's some great... Um, portions of the 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 in the pledge music site when you go to pledgemusic.com forward slash Nora Germain there's the link for everybody right you can buy signed albums you can buy like a bow like a violin bow from Nora that's um especially signed by her and so on and so forth there's a lot of great deals that's the point however there is one that's proven quite a popular option I do believe because for three hundred dollars what can people get, Nora? Oh, yeah, I forgot about this. Okay, yeah, so for $300, if you want to pledge that much, um, basically I thank you for your support by taking you out for a night on the town in Los Angeles with me, and we can go surfing, we can go to a baseball game, we can go to the opera. Um, the whole <laughs> thing is so up to you. So basically I'll plan out some sort of psychotic thing for you and then some some of your friends if you want to bring some people with it's up to you and um what i'm hoping to do is like a three-part thing so it'll be like right, um, okay is, there must be a joke in there somewhere on you go nora sorry when you continue no that's okay so it'll be like a three-part thing so <laughs> so first it'll be dinner then an event and then maybe like a party after or whatever so so depending on who wants to do this i'll craft a wonderful evening for you with me in LA, which will be really amazing. So that is there if you feel that generous. And I hope that you do because that would just be fantastic. And I would love to hang out with you in LA because I've been living here for a long time and I really, um, I know it very, very well. So the sky is the limit. That's all. My, um, the whole thing right now that I've got there's so many one-liners to choose from to react to that. I'm spoilt for choice. What? What did I say that was so funny? Nothing. I'm just saying it's a really good opportunity. If somebody's got $300, they can spend a night with you, you know, which is really good. It can be, there's different ways of doing things. Like you said, there's a, there's a, a three-way thing. That's an option as well. Um, oh, I don't see know what that's three hundred dollars. Okay. So okay. we can go. What? Just to clarify, everyone, it's a a public evening. Okay, it's a night on the town. Okay, as Just opposed to yeah. So people can spend. What do you mean by that? As opposed to what? I'm not sure, but. It is a night on the town. So if you want to hang out with me for many hours in Los Angeles, deep into the twinkling midnight lights, just <laughs> you let me know. $300 it will cost you to spend a night with Nora, ladies and gentlemen. How about it? And with that money... Not spending the night, okay? It's an outing. Yes, it's limited time because there's a lot of people that might want to spend some time with Nora for 300 bucks, which is a great deal, apparently, according to Nora. She sussed out all the different prices that people that usually provide these services, and she's discovered that a night out with her, be it a three-part thing or just her herself, is 300 bucks. A fantastic opportunity. Um, and yeah, there you go. 
And obviously, Nora is an expert when it comes to having a bit of wood in her hands, as we've heard so many times on the podcast. Absolutely brilliant. Norajermain.com, pledgemusic.com, forward slash Norajermain. 300 bucks. It's actually pledgemusic.com slash projects slash Norajermain. But that's okay. If you go to Pledge Music and you search my name, then it'll be there. Also, I think we're featured on the homepage of Pledge Music too, which is kind of cool. I like it how Nora says we, because we're all in this together, ladies and gentlemen. I feel a part of this pledge campaign, honestly. You are. You're definitely a part of it. Are you kidding me? I'm, I, I am, um, to be so totally serious, everyone, right? I am a, a fan of Nora's work. She's absolutely brilliant. Brilliant violin player. Brilliant everything. Nora's your main. Check it out. Th- big thanks to Nora. She's going to be joining us next week. And we're going to hit Nora with 100 or questions. Wow, okay. That's next week, everybody. That's what you've got to look forward to. If we can get some time with Nora, because there's a lot of people spend want to spend 300 bucks to spend some time with her. Check out norajermain.com. Check out pledgemusic.com forward slash projects forward slash norajermain. Big thanks to Ted McKenna, legend. We will see you guys next week. Woo!